What kind of apps do musicians use? We're going to be talking about that next. Hello and welcome to the Musician Toolkit, episode number 29. I am your host, David Lane, and it is great to be with you once again. Okay, in preparing this episode, I had a bit of collaboration, and because it's a name that you've heard a lot on this podcast, if you've heard previous episodes, I want to mention them up front. There's a Facebook group called Fonz Family, and yes, that's people who use the Fonz app that I have mentioned that's on my show notes that can help you with your admin and payment for your studio of any kind. And I keep that in my show notes, but probably for a full year before I even started using the service myself, I was part of the Facebook group, which might be one of the most positive, beneficial Facebook groups that, that I know you don't get the sarcasm and the demeaning and, and a whole lot of off topic things in there. You get encouragement, you get practical advice and that related to the people who use the apps, not just information about the app itself. So I've already used the magic word several times in this episode, and that is app short for application. I wanted to know what types of apps musicians use. I have my own set of apps, but you know, I also have specific purposes that I use it for as a composer and an arranger as a teacher, mainly of piano and theory and composition. And then also I know I have my own apps to help me as a podcaster. And these apps suit my particular devices. So I am an Apple guy. I have, you know, a a Mac computer. I have an iPhone and I have an iPad that badly needs to be updated, but I still, still have one. There are some apps that work with every format. Uh, Some of them only work with Apple. Some of them only work with Android or or Google or uh, Windows. But for the sake of this having some focus and being a reasonably long, not too long episode, I want to talk about some of the things that I'm going to exclude. So I wanted to know what type of apps that a musician uses to help them in their music-related tasks So now this could include teaching music and it could also include, you know, practicing. It could include composing or performing. You know, what are the apps that they make use regularly to help with this? And yes, I'm talking about apps. I'm talking about software. I'm not talking about hardware. So I'm not talking about what kind of device they have, what kind of computer they have. If you look around in my studio, I have an audio interface. I have a keyboard. Um, I have two webcams. I have a lot of hardware and I consider that gear. That's not apps. We're not talking about that. I also, I have a piano. I have over here, I have uh, an acoustic guitar. There are instruments in the house. So I'm not talking about your instruments. That would be a separate category. So I'm just talking about software. Now, as far as that goes, although one of the tools of the Musician Toolkit is the knowledge of business skills, I'm actually not going to talk about business apps because I feel like that's its own category and it would deserve its own discussion. So not talking about that. I'm also not talking about things like Zoom, which obviously 
that or something like it is needed for doing online lessons. So really going to, I'm going to narrow it down to just a few other categories, but there are quite a few apps. And again, I don't use all of these. So I was very thankful for members of the Fonz family group for chiming in on my question, what kind of apps do you use as a musician? Because they gave me a lot of ideas and some things that uh, I didn't know were out there uh, that I was able to explore in preparing for this episode. So this is far from a complete list. And I'm going to go ahead and ask you in advance to contribute. If you have an app that you use as a musician or a music teacher that really helps you, and again, related to the categories that we're going to discuss, to let me know. You can send me a message uh, through my website at davidlanemusic.com or send me a DM on Instagram or Facebook. Instagram is at David Lane Music. Facebook is at David M. Lane Music. Or you can let me know yourself with your voice at speakpipe.com slash musician toolkit. So again, I'm going to mention some apps. And, and I was aware as I was coming up with this list that mainly because I'm an Apple user, a lot of these apps might be Apple only. So I'm going to describe each app. And if you say, well, I don't have an Apple device, if I don't mention uh, an alternative that's compatible with your device, with if it's Google or you know Android, if it's Windows, then there's a, it's very easy. There's a great Google search you can do. You can list the app or list the category for your device. And that is also something. If I, if I mention a great app, but it's not compatible with Android or Windows, and you know of a good one, you know, let me know. Now, before I start talking about the apps themselves, I wanted to offer a quick defense of getting paid apps instead of free apps. And I feel the need to do this because I had some personal resistance when I first got a smartphone, which I don't remember when that was, but I got my first iPhone in 2014. And I would go to the app store and I would look for all these apps. I would, I would type in a category and then I would immediately go to the filter where it says you can look up just the free app results or the ones that are paid apps. I would just go to the free app. I, I would ask myself, why should I bother paying for an app when I could get a similar product for free? Now, some of the really good apps I'll mention are free. So that's the good news. But more often than not, getting a paid version of an app is almost always a better experience if it's something that you don't use every now and then. If you're using an app a lot for any purpose, you're probably going to find if there's a paid version, it's, it's better than the free version. Besides the old adage that I'm sure that you've heard of um, if you're not paying for the product, you probably are the product. It's not just philosophically trying to avoid that whole dynamic of it. But there are five reasons that I now prefer paid apps to free apps in most cases. So the first thing is paid apps don't have ads. Now, you may think that you don't mind watching a 15 or 30 second clip every time you want to use a feature, uh, but this is not an efficient use of your time. And it's also, can it can be distracting if you've got something scrolling along the bottom and, you know, you go to click your start and stop button, uh, if it's, say, a metronome app, and 
you accidentally click on an ad and it opens opens up your browser. Now you have to deal with that. So paid apps usually don't have ads. So that's one reason I like them. The second is that free apps are often limited in features. So if you pay for more, you usually get more. So a lot of apps have a free version and a paid version. And if you're only using the app occasionally, the free version is fine. But if it's an important part of what you're doing, you should invest in the, in the paid app. So the third thing is that free apps are sometimes, not always, but sometimes reflective of the developer's lack of confidence in the app. So I often think I'm, I might offer this for free instead of charging for it if I'm not sure it's worth the money that I'm charging for it. So I personally, I'm not really attracted to that possible lack of self-confidence. I'll pay for the app. Fourth, now all types of apps usually are, are updated on a fairly regular basis. If it's an app for your computer or your smartphone and that device gets out of date, you'll have to pay for a new one. But the app update will still be included on your original purchase price, assuming you're not on a subscription, which also has its own merits and, and its own frustrations. So subscription is probably something that we'll maybe cover in a, in a later episode at some point. And then the fifth defense of paid apps. This is an important point. The vast majority of paid apps are far less expensive than hardware counterparts. I think of, for example, this is a really big example, not that people burn CDs anymore, but I still like them. I have a USB CD burn burner attached to my computer and uh, I can't remember. I feel like it was about $90. And the software that, that I burn it on is free. And I think I could have maybe looked around for an alternative, maybe for about $10, bought one. Well, back in 1999, 2000, somewhere around then, I had a standalone Marantz CD recorder that I don't even remember what I paid for it, but it was in excess of $500. So imagine me getting upset about a $10 app if that free one wasn't available, if I really wanted to accomplish that. So you're going to find this is the case, especially when I get to the first category. So let's talk about, I'm going to go through types of apps and give you some examples. So first type of app that I think most musicians are going to want to have is a metronome app. Now, when I start teaching piano, um, I have a lot of students, they, they, they kind of resist this at first because they say that their keyboard has a metronome app. Well, your keyboard's metronome app is probably very limited. It probably goes up and down, but it might not, not even tell you a, a display of what the tempo is. You might be you might be on 80, you might be on 100, uh, unless you, you know get out your stopwatch and count you might not know for sure. So you, any tool that you use should make your job easy. It should be something that's basically doing a lot of work for you so that you can spend more energy doing the thing that you mainly want to get done, such as improving your music to make it better. So this is a great example of an app, even when you pay for it, costing far less than its hardware counterparts. 
So when I started teaching in the year 2000, and I would say for that first decade, one of the first things that I would tell you if you took a lesson with me on the very first day is that you need a metronome. And if you were on a budget, I would give you a model that you could spend somewhere between $15 and $20 on, and it wouldn't do much. It would keep a steady beat. It would have one type of sound, one volume that's not very loud. It would speed up and slow down, which is important, but but would often do that by pre predetermined increments, much the way that a physical metronome would do you you slide it up it goes from 60 to 63 if you want 61 or 62 you really can't do that it goes from 120 to 126 so if you want 124 that's not a possibility it would probably have one or two meter patterns so you could probably hear a three beat pattern or a four beat pattern so maybe a few choices if you have any at all for a 15 to 20 dollar metronome now, if you wanted other options, such as rhythmic subdivisions, like here it is triplets, here it is a dotted eighth sixteenth, here's a, here it is swinging eighth notes, or um, volume control, so you could really hear it over your music, tone control, like the, the sound of the click, rhythmic patterns, automated speed control, that is when you tell it after every eight measures, 12 measures, you speed up by two clicks. If you wanted these advanced features, then you need to be looking at the metronomes that cost $100 or more. I always like to say that buying a metronome is kind of like buying a calculator. You can get the ones pretty cheap that just do, you know, addition, subtraction, multiplication, and division up to you know certain numbers but if you want ones for graphs for trigonometry and uh, calculus and other functions then you're going to pay quite a bit for a calculator that will do that so the app that i use is called tempo and it is available for ios and android devices and it has everything i just listed on what you'd find on a 100 or more metronome with the exception of programmable rhythm patterns. Now you can find one that'll do that. However, the metronome that I use, Tempo, it has a great volume control. You can really hear it. Um, it has probably two dozen sound options, including a voice beat count. So if I'm on three, four time, uh, I can put it on there and I can hear it go one, two, three, one, two, three, or I can hear a click or I can hear a wood block or I can hear a digital sound or a real metronome sound. One thing that it has that I love is it, is it has what's called set lists. And this is where you can take a certain piece you're working on or a specific set of scales and you can update how far you progress. So let's just say that you're trying to get a piece of music up to 140 and you're currently at 95 and you worked there from 80. Well, you can, you can update that. You can save it. You can say, name your piece of music as the file and just say that you're currently at 95 and it will save that. And when you do other projects and you want to come back to that piece where you left off, you can do so. So it's a way of remembering where you're at with multiple pieces. I'm going to go ahead and guess that what this metronome does would be way past $150 back in the day as a standalone. But on the Android app, you get it for less than $2. 
and on Apple, I think it's maybe $3. It's updated several times, and I keep learning more about what it can do. So that's what I use. Another highly recommended choice is Prometronome. Other highly reviewed options are Dr. Bateau. I actually am not sure of the pronunciation. It's B-E-T-O-T-T-E. Metronome Plus. And then an app that's kind of a multi-purpose app called Tonal Energy. I'll mention it again in just a moment. Again, I don't know what they cost, but as I said before, you know, expect that many of these apps will require some payment, but it might be less to purchase the app, you know, than it would to go have a meal at McDonald's. The next type of app that you might need as a musician is a tuner. Now, if you play something like piano, you know, where you tend to get a professional tuner, maybe not, but uh, most other instruments, you tune your instrument each time you use it. So if you play an instrument that you have to tune yourself, a tuner app is essential. Now, some of the metronomes that I mentioned before actually include a tuner on it, such as Tonal Energy and Metronome Plus. Tonal Energy, it was recommended as a metronome, but it was highly recommended as a tuner. Uh, but some other choices that were also recommended is they're called Clear Tune, Tunable. There's one called INS Tuner. That's a lowercase I-N-S, capital T. U-N-E-R, and then one that I'm assuming it's just for Mac because it starts with a lowercase i, but it's iStroboSoft, I-S-T-R-O-B-O, soft. Now, if you want to tune the piano yourself, there is an app for that. It's called TuneLab, T-U-N-E-L-A-B. Now, there's a subcategory for this. This would not be a tuner, but it might be if you're a vocalist and you just need to hear a pitch. We call that a pitch generator. Um... It's actually, there's a small little instrument called a pitch pipe. Well, this is a, a digital equivalent that you don't have to carry in addition to your phone. It can already be on your phone. Now, the metronome app that I use, Tempo, it has a pitch generator on it. I can set it to the note I want, um, and I can even do high or low, and I can hear basically a sine wave of that sound. But you can also try pocket pitch or Pitch Pocket. Yes, two different apps with the names reversed. So Pocket Pitch, one word. Pitch Pocket, two words. Okay, here's a big important app category, and it's called Sheet Music Reader. So sheet music often comes in a digital format, usually PDF. Now, you can choose if you want to, to print the PDF onto paper and place it in a notebook. But more often than not lately, musicians are going green and they're keeping them on a tablet. Now, the disadvantage is that a tablet is a single screen, so you have to look at one page at a time instead of two, unless you make it really small and do a side-by-side -side two view. But to me, that is the only disadvantage. The, the advantages are that you have control over the brightness, you have the ability to uh, use a Bluetooth foot pedal to turn the pages so that you can keep your hands on your instrument. You have, just like with paper, the ability to write any annotations you want, but unlike paper, you can also cleanly erase them any at any point. And not to mention the huge amount of sheet music that you can easily carry with you wherever you go if you, by simply just taking your tablet. 
And of course, it has to mention, if you have ever played a gig outside, having a tablet with a PDF sheet music reader is a must have. <laughs> if you've ever tried to navigate playing on a, on a windy day at a wedding, you know what I'm talking about. I bought a refurbished iPad just for this purpose. It was 2020 and I'd done these things before. I knew how hard it was, but I was going to be playing a full length musical outside because of course that's what we did in 2020 when we were live. And I could not be worrying about, you know, pages blowing around when the wind blew. So I use two apps that are sheet music readers and the main one that musicians use all over the world is called Fourscore. Fourscore is spelled F-O-R-S-C-O-R-E. I had a colleague once tell me that Fourscore might be the, the biggest reason, and sometimes the sole reason, that hundreds of thousands of musicians even have an iPad. It is for it's for Apple devices only, so that's why the iPad, but it is one of the most universally beloved apps for musicians of all time. It allows you to do a lot of the things I said. It allows you to turn pages with a natural motion of just grabbing the right and flipping to the left the way you would normally do it. All you have to do is tap it. Um, it, it gives you a wide range of types of annotations that you can do. It, it even allows you to create playlists from a variety of different books. I've done this when I've, when I've played for uh, church services. Uh, I have a list of hymns. I have a list of like what the choir's doing and I could just put it in order in a playlist and just turn the page like it's all in a notebook and then remove it from that playlist or create, create a different one. There are so many things that the app can do that I haven't even explored yet, but it is by far the most powerful sheet music app and most reliable one out there. And it works so great with a page flip Bluetooth app. Now, another one, you've heard me mention this website before, if you've listened to previous episodes of this podcast, and that is IMSLP, which is a website where you can find nearly any piece of music that's public domain. And that's at IMSLP.org. Well, they also have a free app that integrates with their website. And uh, you can also upload your own PDFs that you didn't get from IMSLP, and you can use it on the app. Now, it's not as smooth as Fourscore, but the integration with IMSLP makes it a very valuable app to also have on your tablet. Now, I'll say those particular types of apps are best for a tablet. If you're, if you're on a phone... You know, I hope your eyesight's really good. Sometimes sheet music apps don't really work well on a phone. Other recommendations, if you're a guitarist, there's a TEF viewer, which allows you to download and read a lot of tablatures. And then there's one also for pianists called Piascore, P-I-A-S-C-O-R-E. The next category of app is music players for practicing. So one of the most amazing advancements in how technology can improve practicing as well as the ability to transcribe music is the development of independent speed control that does not alter the pitch. So when I was growing up, I could speed up my tape player, but it also sped up the pitch and I'd have to transpose what I was hearing. 
or I could slow it down and it would slow down the pitch. And I would still have to transpose it. So when you're trying to learn something that's maybe too difficult to figure out up to speed, you're trying to play it by ear or you're trying to transcribe it, the ability to slow it down and keep it in the same key and have it not sound awful in the sound quality is very valuable. So I'm not currently using any of these apps myself, but uh, the ones that I know that are recommended is one's called AnyTune, which is A-N-Y-T-U-N-E, one word. And then there's the Amazing Slow Downer app, which used to work with Spotify. Uh, my wife really loves this app quite a bit, but she says that they they dropped the support of Spotify. It now works with Apple Music if you have a subscription. It will otherwise only work with pieces you've downloaded and can play from your music library. Another type of category of apps for musicians uh, would be tutorials for music theory and ear training. Some do both, some do one or the other, but I kind of put them in one category. So whether you're a student, a beginner, or you're a professional who just wants to brush up on some skills, there have been many great apps for music theory and ear training over the years. And just to give you an idea of how long they were, they've been around, I was using one on an early Mac computer when they called it Macintosh still as a piano student in the year 1990. So the app that I use is a web-based app. It's a website. It's musictheory.net. But you can also get it, if you're on an Apple device, you can get an app called Tenuto, which is the exercise portion of the website. And the exercises are what I recommend. If you go to the website, you'll see lessons, exercises, tools. You want to click on exercises for the part that I think you're going to get the most benefit from. And I recommend this website and this app all the time to students for everything. You can use it to help you learn notes, to learn your keys. If you're a guitarist, it has things for fretboards. It has intervals, chords, scales, key signatures, and it has ear training on everything that it teaches. I will occasionally do a tutorial for the exercises from there. Um, so far, I've only done one for the note identification exercise that is on my YouTube channel at David Lane Music One on YouTube. So that is just a great app. I really can't recommend it enough for just how useful I think it is. Another app that I personally use is called Note Rush. And what I like about it is that it's a notation learning app. Now, I think it's kind of basic as a notation learning app. Uh, this is really, if you're advanced, I don't think you'll get anything out of it. But if you're a beginner, you're trying to get better at your notation. It has graphics that are, that are really designed for younger students. It really resonates well with them. But the cool part is that it works with your device's microphone. So you don't tap the answers. If you're looking at sheet music notes, you don't type the letter name on the screen or click on anything. All you do is play where you would play it on your instrument. It's, it's very accurate. It'll recognize your notes. So it's really fun because, you know, a lot of times I get some students that ask them what the name of a note is and they'll tell me the answer, but then they'll go to play it and it won't always be correct. So sometimes executing what we know is a little harder than just saying it out loud. So it's good to have an app like that. That's called Note Rush. 
There are a lot of other recommended apps uh, for ear training. There's EarMaster. There's also Tone Gym, which I will say, <laughs> while I gave a defense of paid apps not being very expensive, that one is. It's a very expensive for, uh, it's a monthly fee involved. So I think, I think I would be reluctant to go that route, but it is very highly touted. That's called Tone Gym. There's a specific one that I want to try out that I haven't yet, and it's called Sound Gym. That's one word, and gym is like gymnasium, G-Y-M. And it is specifically for audio engineers. So it helps you learn EQ and frequency and compression and all the things that you would use in a studio, like we kind of mentioned back on episode 26. There's a whole bunch of exercise that have the word cat in it, like rhythm cat, treble cat, bass cat bass cat so it's again kind of designed for younger users but uh rhythm cat is kind of interesting because it's all about basic rhythms and learning rhythm this is a very wide category i think you could explore app stores for days and find things that'll help you with your music theory or your ear training next category i want to mention are practice apps so uh, again i'll barely scratch the surface here but practice apps and digital journals are, are prevalent and highly useful for students. So I personally have only used a Google Doc file as well as Google Sheets where I can put some pre-designated fields in advance and have students log their time and you know put down their thoughts and be very specific about what they're doing. But there are other plenty of other apps that others recommend. I'm just going to list them. I haven't checked them out, but the apps that I've heard recommended are called Modacity, Tonera, which is T-O-N-A-R-A. There's one called Remind, which is specifically to work with parents and students when you're teaching. There's one called Andante, and then there's Music Journal Pro. And again, these are just the ones that I found that were highly recommended. Okay, so thus far, I've gone over what I would call the fast food apps because at the most, all the apps that I've mentioned, with very few exceptions, would cost any more than what it would cost you, one person, to go buy a meal at a fast food restaurant. We're now going to get into a couple of categories that can be quite a bit more expensive, but they don't necessarily have to be. So let's get into the first one. Apps for music notation. So this, again, it can be a big expense. And when I got into professional music, when I had to start building my studio, it had to be a big expense. For a long while, if you wanted to create good-looking music notation at home, you had to have Finale. So now Finale is not quite as expensive as it used to be. And a lot of that is thanks to a proliferation of some very good, less expensive, and in some cases, free alternatives. But it used to be the retail was quite a bit high. But if you're a composer or an arranger, even if all you're ever doing is exercises for your students, just trying to write some things down, you must have a notation app. And as someone who's tried some not so good notation apps, I just say you do want to be kind of picky about the ones that you get. So again, what I use is Finale. I've used this program for 24 years and I've just never had an incentive to change, to try anything else. They improve every few years and it, and it does everything. 
Now, some of the tasks have a steeper learning curve than others, and that has always been one of the criticisms of Finale, is that the learning curve can be a little bit steep. But again, I've done it so long that I don't say that I noticed that much anymore. But this is one of my core apps for working as a composer and arranger and even as a teacher. Hardly a week goes by that I don't, I don't open it multiple times a day and work in that app. Now, it retails for $600. But there are so many ways to get a discount, whether you're a, a student, an educator, they have other ways that you can qualify. And I just checked right now as I'm recording this, uh, I'm actually recording this in June and this episode won't come out till July, I believe. But as of today, they have 50% off for a promotion. And, and that happens quite a bit throughout the year. So if you want to get Finale and you don't want full price, you can get it at a discount. And the other thing is, is if you're not a full-time composer and an arranger and you just want it for exercises for your students, there are lighter versions of Finale that don't cost nearly as much. Now, your other highly recommended apps, and it used to be there, there weren't that many. Uh, the big and expensive brother to Finale is Sibelius. S-I-B-E-L-I-U-S, like the composer Jean Sibelius. When it first came out, it was marketed to people who wanted less of a learning curve than Finale had, but it was about the same price. And I'm not sure, I haven't even checked the price. It's probably very similar. But Finale and Sibelius are the two that have been around for, for the longest amount of time, you know, marketed towards using on a computer. But one that has really taken hold in the marketplace in the last several years is called Dorico, D-O-R-I-C-O. And it is a multi-purpose app that you can do some recording with and it has some pretty nice sounds as far as I've heard. But So it kind of integrates into a lot of other things you might want to do with music, such as recording. Some people that I have talked to who, who have used Dorico really like it. So it is it is a major alternative to Finale and Sibelius. If you're on a budget, though, you might want to consider Notion or MuseScore. MuseScore is still completely free, and musicians have told me that it is very good. It is not it it is very surprising how good it is for a free app. And because because it's free and it does so much, I know a lot of people who used Finale or something like it lightly. They just stopped upgrading it and went to MuseScore. Now, I believe it only works on a tablet, but you know, things change all the time. So when it comes to compatibility, don't trust anything you hear on this, on this episode, go check it out and see what's current, what the current standards are. Now things change all the time, but again, I have found that bad notation programs are very bad. If you want to see what bad notation programs look like, you know, just go find free PDF downloads of popular sheet music. And if you know anything about notation, you'll just see how like there's some weird spacing issues. There are some weird uh, choices of accidentals that aren't easily correctable. And I just, yeah, free freeware notation programs. Uh, again, I'm amazed that MuseScore is very good. Finale, Sibelius, Dorico, MuseScore or Notion. But if you have a sixth one or seventh one, please let me know. Okay, here's another potentially very expensive thing that you can invest in, and that is a DAW, a digital audio workstation. 
A DAW is what I would have called a sequencer when I was in college. It's software where you can record multiple tracks of either audio through your microphone or your audio interface, or you can upload audio that you recorded elsewhere, or you can also record through MIDI instruments that you play with a controller such as your keyboard, but you can also use guitar and you can use other instruments as a controller. And with a DAW, you can usually edit the sound, you can mix it, you can master it. Basically, everything you need to produce the music from the point of recording to presenting it as a final product, as a WAV file, an MP3, burning it onto a CD, or uploading it to stream. You can do all of that with a good DAW, a digital audio workstation. So what I use currently is one of the best purchases I've made in the last 10 years. I had some very bad luck with DAWs in the past of not working with the computer that I had. And I've told this before, but one of the best things I ever did was finally listen to what people were telling me. And that is if you're, if you're a composer, Apple makes more consistently better products for what I need. And so I finally got a Mac and there is an Apple only DAW called Logic Pro. A few years ago, it was called Logic Pro X, and it comes right off the Apple Store. And I believe it's still only $299. I say only because there are some that cost double that. Thus far, it's not a subscription-based like uh, other some others are. But they update it fairly regularly and, and often quite impressively. It is one of those apps that when you get into it, it's surprising all the things it can do. It does, honestly, way more than I think I'll ever need. And they've recently come out with a, a version that you can have on an iPad Pro as well. But you do need an Apple computer for that. But the thing I love about it is it's it's very reliable. It, it almost never crashes. I mean, and I've had it for nine years now. And I think it might have crashed one time in those nine years. So when it comes to other recommended choices, there there's quite a bit to choose. So... If you don't have much of a budget for this and you don't really have a high-end need for multi-track recording and editing, like maybe all you want to do is record a demo or perhaps some accompaniment tracks for your students, you might want to choose GarageBand, which is an Apple-only device that's, honestly, I'm not sure if it's free or just inexpensive, but it's like a, a very light version of Logic. It'll do what you need, probably, but it won't do you know nearly as much as Logic does. But another thing to consider is the program called Audacity, which is a free open source software that works for every platform. Now you'll be limited in what you can do with those, but it may be all that you need. So and again, Audacity, if you try it and you don't like it, you're not out, of, out any money at all and you can go try something else. Now, if you don't want to use Logic, some higher-end recommendations. The first one, especially if you have a PC, is Cubase. Also, Pro Tools, Digital Performer, which used to be Apple-only, Reason. And, there, and again, there's quite a bit more. This is a pretty large category. All right, the last major category I'm going to cover on, on this list is what we call plugins. So plugins are added elements to programs, and they're sometimes included with the software in order to complete your recording or your mixing experience. So this would be, in all likelihood, the longest list of any category if I tried to name brands. 
So I'm just going to share a few categories of this type and also just some of what I use. So one type of plugin is what's called a virtual instrument. So in the 20th century, composers and keyboardists wanted to have keyboards that were loaded with sound banks. So strings and brass and electric pianos, they wanted it all right there. And you can still do that if you want. There are plenty of keyboards that are still very popular if you want that onboard, all sounds included. But the modern standard is to have a very basic keyboard connected to the computer, and we call that the controller. And sometimes that keyboard doesn't even have any onboard sounds at all. And then you get large collections of instruments that you want as virtual synthesizers that load into tracks on your DAW. Now, as I mentioned, I use Logic Pro, and it comes with, I'm not even sure, one or 2,000 sounds already on there. Now, I don't like all of them, but some of them are pretty good, and I use them as my first choice. But I also personally use instruments from Spitfire Audio, Native Instruments, Aria Player, and a company called 8DIO, which is eight, oh, one word, 8DIO. Previously, I've used East West for one of their sounds, but the but the sound that I used, it did not keep up with Mac updates and they have dropped their compatibility with that. So that is an occasional problem that you can run into with these, but it's not happened very often with me. Another type of plugin, especially if you're a guitarist or bassist, is amps and pedals. Now, now if you want to play live, you probably have an amp and you probably have pedals, but if you are just going to record into your computer, you really don't need a fancy amp or pedals. Just plug your instrument into your audio interface, record on your DAW, and then load up a virtual amp and pedals. So I use Native Instruments Guitar Rig as my main choice when I have to record guitar parts. And it has hundreds of amp presets of different models of amps. Uh, Apple also has an app, Amp Designer, and all of these are customizable. Like you can take the amp designer, you can change the placement of the microphone, you can change the level of your effects. This is something where that virtual is much more powerful than what you can do with hardware devices. And the third type of plug-in category that I'll mention is effects. So reverb, compression, gate, delay, EQ, chorus. And uh, a lot of these terms, again, we mentioned on episode 26 of this podcast, but these are all used to create certain manipulations of the sound that you're recording, either from MIDI or from your own audio. Now, you can spend money, sometimes top dollar for these, and I know like your, your bona fide sound engineers will swear by them, but... I have only ever used, and I think I've had success with just the extensive onboard effects that come with Logic Pro. So even Audacity, which is free, it also has effects on it. Uh, it has a whole category of things. You can select your sound and you can change it and uh, undo it if it doesn't work and, and, and then try it again. So plugins is a great, highly valuable thing if you're doing any kind of recording. So finally, I'm going to mention a few other musician apps. Either, these are either ones that didn't have a lot in the type of category, or they were ones that are recommended that I don't use much. So I'll just kind of go through these in the order that they came to mind. And uh, the first one is a voice memo or similar. 
And this is, you know, if you're recording audio, but it's just to hear yourself practice or just to shoot off an idea to somebody, you probably have a device on your phone already just to record yourself. Uh, and, and if you're a student in a lesson, this is a great way, a great digital way to record your lessons and refer to them later. There's an app called BandLab, which is a DAW specifically meant for collaboration with a classroom of students or other groups. So it's an educational DAW. There's an app that I use called MainStage. If you've ever heard Life in the Pit, you've heard it come up quite a bit because it's used a lot in Broadway. It's also used, uh, I know a lot of churches like with contemporary worship services use this app. It's an Apple-only software uh, for smoothly programming keyboard patch changes throughout a performance. And you can often just use a pedal to change the patches to link from your into your keyboard, which links into your computer, and just have a smooth experience and doing really complicated keyboard work with multiple sounds that on, on a uh, standalone device would be very difficult. There's an app called Bands in a Box that you can use for creating backing tracks to use in a live setting. There's an app called Cordy, that's C-H-O-R-D-I-E, that syncs the image of an animated keyboard with your actual keyboard to allow you to demonstrate pieces live or to record instructional videos. So if you've ever watched a piano video and you've seen like the image of a piano at the bottom that shows the keys that are being played, that is probably from Cordy or something similar. If you're a vocalist, you might want to check out 4D Music Player, which is basically a database of accompaniments. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention streaming music players, Spotify, Amazon Music, Apple Music, YouTube. Sometimes if we want to learn a piece, we've got to hear it first. And so these are free or inexpensive ways that you can do that without going to buy a full album. If you're a guitar teacher, you may want to check out neck diagrams if you haven't already. This can help you to show vivid fret charts on your videos or if you're doing a, you know, using like an OBS broadcast platform where you can integrate animation and other screens while you're having an online lesson, that is something that you can do. So what did I leave out? Because I know I left out quite a bit. So help me fill them in the gaps, any specific apps that you'd like to share. Now, again, I did not share business apps. I did not share social media apps. I also didn't share designer apps like Canva and Adobe. I didn't share video editing apps. We live in a technology-heavy world. And if you're like me, you, you probably have three, four, five dozen apps that you use in the span of a week for one thing or another. So this is just to kind of help music students, music teachers, and of course, professional performers and composers to have a list of things. In the end, you know, it's not about having apps for apps sakes, but what makes your job easier? What allows you to do the things that matter most so that you're not having to take so much time on smaller things? That's what you want an app for, to help you do the job well. Now, I just wanted to say, if you're not technologically inclined and in listening to this episode, I know that this can be an intimidating topic. So I just want you to keep in mind that this whole list is from a group of people. It's not from an individual. Again, I got most of these that I didn't have myself. Uh, a few from some blog posts, but largely from the Fonz family Facebook group. So this came from quite a few people. 
So of everything that I listed, I probably have experience with about 10% of it. And I have a field of focus that is pretty highly technology dependent. So you might not need that much, but there may be an app that will greatly help you to be a better musician. And I hope that this list will help give you some ideas. Now, if you weren't taking notes while you were listening and you're thinking, uh, there, there's no way I'm going to remember most of that. Well, this is one of the episodes that I'll also be publishing as a blog, and I will put that link in the show notes, but you can find it by going to davidlanemusic.com slash blog. Again, feel free to contact me. Let me know what I've left out. But that is going to wrap up today's episode, and I look forward to being back with you next week with episode 30. So until then, thanks for listening.